Our episodes deal with serious and often distressing incidents. If you feel at any time you need support, please contact your local crisis centre. For suggested phone numbers for confidential support, please see the show notes for this episode on your app or on our website. As her 21st birthday approached in 2008, Brit Catherine May Lapthorne asked her parents for just one present, the biggest travel backpack she could carry. Brit was planning a solo backpacking trip through Europe for the middle of the year, taking the time off to explore the world, do a little soul-searching, and find inspiration for her future career. The RMIT university student had been working hard at completing her international business degree, but was looking forward to spending some time away from the books. After deferring a semester of her studies, Britt was scheduled to fly out of her home city of Melbourne, Victoria in late June 2008, embarking on a four-month solo backpacking trek that would take her through multiple countries before returning home to Australia in mid-October. It came as absolutely no surprise to those who knew Britt Lapthorne that she had itchy feet and was seeking overseas adventure. Her passport read like an explorer's autobiography, each stamp representing a wealth of stories and experiences she had earned around the world. When Brit was eight years old, her family lived in China, and by age ten, Brit was bartering with locals in Beijing's markets. When she was twelve, she was navigating the ancient roads of Uzbekistan. By her early twenties, Brit Lapthorn had stepped foot on almost every continent on the planet having travelled more in her 20 years than most would in a lifetime. She made it her mission to visit a new overseas destination every year. Despite her wanderlust and thirst for adventure, Britt loved coming back home to Australia. She lived with her parents, Dale and Elka, in the Victorian suburb of Eden Park, a picturesque semi-rural township 45 kilometres north of Melbourne City. At the end of each one of her trips, Britt would collate all the knickknacks and photographs she had collected along the way and display them on a pinboard in her bedroom. The board was covered with photos of Britt with friends and landmarks, and with badges, tickets, pins, lanyards and key rings. Each item, no matter how ordinary to others, was a treasure Britt cherished. When she was home, Britt preferred a low-key, relaxed lifestyle. She relished kicking her shoes off and getting into her comfiest old dressing gown and slippers, settling in for a night on the couch watching television with her mum. The mother and daughter bonded over their passion for music and books and loved indulging their shared sweet tooth together. To Brit, family was the most important thing. It was the foundation of her life. She looked forward to family gatherings, where she took great pleasure in setting the dining table with the Lapthorn's best crockery, glassware and candles. Christmas was her favourite holiday, and her family celebrated in line with the traditions of her mother's German heritage. On Christmas Eve, the Lapthorns would share a delicious dinner and exchange presents thereafter. Dessert was Brit's favourite course. She especially loved rich cheesecakes with berries, the more decadent, the better. A tomboy throughout her childhood, Britt grew up playing with her older brother Darren and his friends. She'd ride as a passenger on Darren's peewee bike, an oversized helmet balanced on her head, and gumboots hanging off her feet. As Britt entered adolescence, 
she became more interested in the typical teenage girl fascinations, clothes, makeup, and perfume. By the time Brit got her driver's license, her parents hardly saw her, as she was always off on her own independent adventures in the family's old Saab car. Despite trusting their daughter wholeheartedly, Dale and Elka would lay awake at night until they heard the Saab coming down the driveway, finding peace only when they knew their daughter was home safe. Britt was an intelligent, friendly and loving young woman, and it was her spark for life that charmed her boyfriend, Simon Imberger. He fully supported his girlfriend's free spirit, referring to her as Tripthorn after her love for travel. As the departure date for Brit's European backpacking adventure approached, she spent night after night on her computer researching all the places she wanted to visit. Although she had a general idea of her itinerary, she wanted the finer details to be spontaneous and unpredictable. She planned to keep friends and family back home updated through her Facebook page, which she used as a travel log and virtual gallery, littered with status updates, quirky stories, and candid photos of her life abroad. As such, aside from her passport, her most valued travel companion was her Canon PowerShot G9 camera. Although they would miss their daughter as she jet-setted across the globe, Brit's parents were proud of the headstrong, independent, ambitious woman their little girl had grown up to be. Dale and Elka looked forward to reuniting with their daughter in Paris to celebrate her 21st birthday the month after her departure. Before Brit headed off, Dale and Elka presented her with an early birthday present. It was the one thing she had been asking them for. An olive and black-coloured, black wolf brand backpack. The biggest one she could carry. In late June 2008, equipped with her trusty camera, brand new backpack, and $5,000 in spending money, Britt Lapthorne departed Melbourne for Europe. She arrived in Dortmund, Germany, an industrial yet cosmopolitan city in the country's northwest, where her 25-year-old brother Darren was living at the time. Darren was a professional cyclist who had been recruited by a German team after winning the 2007 Australian Road Race Championships. The two Lapthorne siblings had always been close. Britt followed in her brother's footsteps. They both attended Kilmore International School in their teens and later were both accepted into RMIT University in Melbourne to study business. The motivation and commitment his younger sister showed towards her studies was something Darren greatly admired. While his textbooks remained unopened until the evening before an exam, Brits were well-worn, bent and dog-eared from constant use. She spoke of one day opening a spa business with several other friends, but hadn't yet decided what she wanted to do after graduating from university. No matter what career path Brit decided to follow, Darren had no doubt his sister was going to be incredibly successful. By early July, 
Brit travelled to Paris, where she met up with her parents who had journeyed over to celebrate her upcoming 21st birthday. The family spent the lead up to Brit's birthday experiencing the City of Lights, walking the beautiful streets and marvelling over the striking Parisian architecture and history. Brit and Delka were left to explore the Louvre Museum together, walking arm in arm through the Grand Gallery, admiring the famous work of the great artists. Upon observing the Mona Lisa, they pinched themselves with excitement. Brit loved films and was excited to see firsthand the masterpiece featured in the blockbuster movie, The Da Vinci Code. The pair were so in awe of the sheer grandeur of the museum that they temporarily got lost in the seemingly endless network of rooms and displays. On July 13, the Lapthorns celebrated Brit's 21st birthday at a restaurant near the Arc de Triomphe. A photograph captured Brit and Elka in a warm embrace at an alfresco table, their contentedness evident on their smiling faces. The experience couldn't have been more perfect. Dale described it as just happiness. After Paris, Brit escorted her parents to Germany, where the close-knit family of four stayed in Darren's small apartment. With limited space, Dale slept on the couch, whilst Brit and her mother lay head to toe in a single bed. The pair found it rather humorous, with Elka telling her daughter, quote, This might sound corny, Brit, but this feels really special to feel your body next to mine, because it may not happen again. By late July, Dale and Elka Lapthorn had farewelled to their two children, although it was only temporary, as they'd be seeing Brit again in just a few months' time when she returned home to Melbourne on October 15. By August, Brit's solo backpacking journey had commenced, and she made her way east to Poland. It was easy for the friendly and talkative Brit Lapthorn to make friends on the road. It was in Poland where she met a fellow Aussie backpacker named Tara Reynolds, and the two enjoyed the sights together before Brit set out for her next destination, the Czech Republic. Hungary and Austria followed soon after. Throughout her trip, Brit kept friends and family in the loop of her travels by periodically posting updates on her Facebook page. Although she had a mobile phone with her, Her social media site was a much more affordable way to keep in touch on her tight budget. Brit's Facebook profile was littered with vibrant photographs and excited status updates full of exclamation marks as she shared her travel plans and foreign experiences. Dozens of photos captured the backpacker, all smiles, as she sampled new foods, soaked up the views of sprawling cities, and partied with new friends she met along the way. On September 5, Brit made the 300-kilometre journey south from Vienna to Slovenia, where she kayaked and swam in the pristine blue waters of Lake Bled in the Julian Alps. It was the highlight of her trip so far. Brit logged into her Facebook account and posted a status update that read, Brit is in the best place she's seen in a while. On September 9, After lapping up a couple more days in Slovenia, Brit made her way east to the Croatian capital of Zagreb, a bustling city celebrated for its 18th and 19th century Austro-Hungarian architecture. On September 11, 
she cut across the border into Sarajevo, Bosnia, where she sent her boyfriend Simon Imberger a message to let him know she had arrived safely. Hey, just arrived in Sarajevo. So tired. Took so long to get here on a dodgy, scary train. But it was really okay. Just glad I made it. During a long bus ride from Sarajevo to the scenic Bosnian city of Mostar, Britt met a fellow young female backpacker who shared her sense of adventure, a Canadian named Chris Noseworthy. The two immediately hit it off and were thrilled to discover they were booked into the same hostel in Mostar, becoming instant travel buddies. Chris and Britt explored Mostar's medieval streets together, and after sampling some exotic local cuisine, Britt logged into Facebook and posted, Drinking yummy coffee and never eating brains again. She loved the ancient city, its location on the Naretva River, and its iconic 16th century bridge providing a fairy tale like atmosphere. In an online message to a uni friend back home, Britt described Mostar as one of the best places she had ever visited. She expressed her wish to stay in Mostar for a few more weeks, but had to keep moving, as southern Italy beckoned her. It was whilst in Mostar that Britt met Brad, a fellow traveller from her home city of Melbourne. As the pair exchanged travel stories and upcoming plans, Britt mentioned that the Croatian coast was her next destination. Having made the coastal trip before, Brad warned Britt that his experience hadn't been entirely positive. He had found the locals to be quite unwelcoming and inhospitable, and had also heard some horror stories from other travellers about their time there. One young woman who ventured to a Croatian island had apparently woken up in a stranger's car, with absolutely no recollection of how she had gotten there. Britt took Brad's warnings seriously, though she wasn't deterred by them. Having travelled constantly throughout her life, Britt was not unfamiliar with the dangers presented to solo female travellers in foreign lands. She told Brad about one of her own unnerving experiences. During a train ride through the Balkans, strangers kept coming into her carriage, making her feel unsafe. Brad could tell Britt was a smart, switched-on traveller, and he was confident the girl could hold her own. On September 15, Britt ventured out on a hot, rainy day trip to Croatia's Dalmatian coast, a picturesque, narrow shoreline framing the Adriatic Sea. After yet another unforgettable day, Britt posted a status update on Facebook which read, Britt had the best day, jumping off cliffs into water, swimming under waterfalls, and getting soaked in the rain. Upon learning from a friend that the Croatian coast was an ideal gateway to southern Italy, Brit made the Croatian seaside city of Dubrovnik her next destination. Her new friend and travel buddy, Canadian backpacker Chris Noseworthy, also had the location on her itinerary, as she looked forward to scuba diving in the clear and tranquil waters of the Adriatic Sea. The pair decided to travel together, and were joined by Dominik Dabrowieski, a Polish-American backpacker they had met at their hostel in Mostar. On the morning of September 16, as Britt Lapthorne's friends and family logged into their Facebook accounts, they were greeted with a status update from the traveller revealing her next destination. It read, 
off to Dubrovnik, Croatia. Located on the southern coast of Croatia lies the port city of Dubrovnik, a stunning medieval town nicknamed the Pearl of the Adriatic. The city has earned status as a UNESCO World Heritage listed site for its perfectly preserved Renaissance architecture, which includes a centuries-old stone wall encircling Dubrovnik's central hub that has withstood foreign empires, earthquakes and invaders. There are only two entrances into the walled city, leading into a dense maze of cobblestone streets lined with a myriad of shops, restaurants and bars. Although it's a relatively small, quiet city with a population of just over 40,000, Dubrovnik has become Croatia's most visited city. The local economy depends heavily on the millions of tourists who visit throughout the year, drawn to the pristine blue waters of the Adriatic Sea, picturesque old town and surrounding rugged limestone mountains. Despite being an expensive place to visit, Dubrovnik has become a popular hotspot for backpackers due to its reputation as a safe, laid-back destination, which provides seafaring access to some of Europe's other standout coastal towns. Britt Lapthorne arrived to Dubrovnik accompanied by her travel companions, Chris Noseworthy and Dominic Dabrovievsky. The trio checked in to the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club, a multi-storey hostel perched on a hill in the newer part of the city. The small yet vibrant hostel was made up of three guest rooms containing two sets of bunk beds each and included all the quintessential backpacker facilities, like a communal kitchen and recreation room with internet access, a projector screen and a selection of DVDs. The Dubrovnik Backpackers Club was privately run by the local Perkovich family, who lived on site in the ground floor apartment to oversee the hostel's daily operations. As Britt and her travel partners checked in, London backpacker Gareth Hopkins arrived at the hostel and struck up a conversation with the group. They all hit it off, and two hours later, the new arrivals headed to the harbourside where they enjoyed a seafood meal together at a restaurant before embracing Dubrovnik's nightlife. The following day, September 17, 2008, Britt, Chris, Dominic and Gareth spent the day exploring Dubrovnik's old quarter strolling through the narrow streets and hanging out at a cafe in one of the sunlit squares. Later that day, Chris Noseworthy parted ways with the group to attend a scuba diving course on a nearby island, but she and Britt planned to meet up again in a few weeks' time to continue their journey together to the Croatian city of Split, where Britt had plans to take a transit ferry west to Italy. Britt was in good spirits as the two said their goodbyes, excited about their upcoming adventures. That evening, while hanging out in the hostel, Britt made a quick Facebook post advising everyone back home that she had made it safely to Dubrovnik. That night, the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club was a hive of activity as guests crowded in the small kitchen space to cook and share dinner. Guests were from a melting pot of nationalities and ranged in ages from 20 to 30, mostly solo travellers who intended to stay in Dubrovnik for a short while before departing for their next destination in a day or two's time. After dinner, the enthusiastic group had some drinks and hung out in the hostel's recreation room. At around midnight, they were no closer to settling down for the night 
and to their antics drew the attention of the hostel owners, who requested they keep the noise to a minimum. Still full of energy and wanting to socialise, a suggestion was made for the group to head out on the town. They had heard the local hotspot for backpackers was a lively nightclub called Club Fuego, and although it was a Wednesday night, the club was operating outside of its usual weekend hours to cater to the busy tourist season. The well-established and popular Latin-themed nightclub had been a backpacker's haunt since 2001, having earned a positive reputation for its professional staff and affordable prices. Open from 11pm until 6am, the club was the perfect place for late-night revellers. Britt Lapthorne agreed to go check it out, as did fellow Australians David Barbelay, Jason Levy and Lydia Hambrook and the two men Brit had befriended over the previous days, Dominic Dabrowiecki and Gareth Hopkins. They were also joined by Portuguese backpackers Marina Moreira and Guillermo Augusto. After getting ready, the backpackers boarded a local bus to make the 3.8km journey to the nightclub. At 12.38am, they arrived at Club Fuego, located near the main entrance of Dubrovnik's old town, a stone's throw from the town's historic port section. The unassuming two-storey building was marked by a large black sign depicting the figure of a dancing female, her pink dress billowing as she raised her arms in the air. A banner painted across the front of the building displayed the words Latino Club in bold yellow lettering, and mainstream dance music thumped from within. Club Fuego's interior was dark with dim lighting throughout, except for the bright neon lights flickering over the massive dance floor. There were crowds of people everywhere on both levels of the building, with around 200 other young clubgoers surrounding the five different bars, milling around the standing tables and spilling across the dance floor. When Britt and her companions entered, it wasn't long before they became separated through the crowds. The following morning of Thursday, September 18, 2008, a backpacker named Maria, who was sharing a dorm room with Britt Lapthorne at the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club Hostel, woke to find the Australian girl's bed neat and unoccupied, as though it hadn't been slept in overnight. Maria had not attended Club Fuego with the rest of the group the night prior, and assumed Britt must have had a big night and was still out partying. Despite Britt being the only clubgoer unaccounted for, nothing about the behaviour of the others in the hostel indicated they were concerned about her absence. Therefore, Maria didn't think there was anything to worry about. When nighttime descended, Britt Lapthorne had still not reappeared at the hostel, and her personal belongings, including her olive and black Black Wolf backpack, remained untouched in her dorm room. As the other guests who had attended Club Fuego in the early hours of September 18 pulled their recollections together, they determined that the last known sighting of Brit was inside the club at approximately 3.30am. None of them had seen Brit leave. Given Brit's approachable and talkative nature, they considered the unnerving possibility that she might have accepted a lift home from an ill-intentioned local or ran into danger while walking through the dark, unfamiliar streets alone. When they tried calling Brit's mobile phone, it rang out and went unanswered, and eventually, 
it stopped ringing altogether. The backpackers determined it was highly unlikely that Brit had moved on to her next travel destination, as her Australian passport was securely locked away in the hostel's safe. Lydia Hambrook, an Australian who had attended Club Fuego, became increasingly concerned when Brit still had not reappeared the following day of Friday, September 19. After a day out sightseeing, Lydia returned to the hostel and noticed that Brit's belongings had been moved about. Relieved, she assumed her friend had finally returned. However, she soon found out Brit's things had simply been shifted aside whilst the dorm room was being cleaned. Britt Lapthorne's whereabouts remained a mystery. By the second night, the backpackers discussed their next steps. They each had plans to travel onwards from Dubrovnik, but it didn't feel right to just up and leave without knowing Britt was safe. They decided to inform the hostel owners of Britt's disappearance, hoping they would know what to do. When the Perkovich family were informed that one of their guests had failed to return home two nights in a row, they were immediately worried and promised to keep an eye out for Brit. At 2am, hostel owner Milka Perkovich arose to check if Brit was in her bed, but it was still empty. Milka expressed her increasing anxieties about Brit to her 33-year-old son Evitza. He dismissed his mother's concerns, telling her, We will see in the morning. They are just young, crazy kids. But the next morning, there was still no sign of Brit. Chris Noseworthy, Brit's Canadian travel companion, who was scheduled to meet up with Brit in a few weeks' time, logged into her email account and was shocked to find an email from mutual travel friend Dominic Dabrowiecki, notifying her that Brit hadn't returned to the hostel after a night out. Dominic's email read, She doesn't seem like the kind of girl to just go home with some dude. I'm really worried and desperately racking my brains to see if I can remember who she was with. But so far, no luck. Please get back to me. Dominic's email triggered immediate alarm bells for Chris. She tried calling Brit's mobile phone multiple times, but it was switched off. So she proceeded to send private messages to Brit's Facebook account, desperately hoping for a response. When her messages remained unanswered, a panicked Chris emailed Dominic looking for an update, writing, Has she still not been found? Man, I hope she's met back up with you guys by this point. Dominic replied, I'm crossing my fingers that just some weird shit happened and she's okay. I'll keep you updated. Concerned guests at the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club rifled through Brit's backpack looking for information to contact her family back in Australia. When they couldn't find anything, they placed a phone call to the Australian Embassy in Croatia and explained the situation. An embassy official made numerous calls, including to Dubrovnik law enforcement. However, local police were hesitant to act, as young tourists, especially Australians, were known to party hard in Dubrovnik. They suspected Brit was just another boozy backpacker on a bender who'd stumbled back to her hostel eventually, nursing a hangover. The embassy official urged the Dubrovnik police to launch an inquiry into Brit Lapthorne's disappearance, but their request was denied. 
Britt Lapthorne's typically active Facebook feed had gone radio silent. Messages from friends encouraging her to keep them in the loop of her plans went ignored. Back in Australia, Britt's boyfriend Simon Imberger had not heard from his travelling girlfriend, so on September 21, Simon sent Britt a message which read, Hey B, hope Dubtown's still rockin' and the bugs aren't as big. Keep laughing, Tripthorn. Britt's lack of contact had been noticed by her parents, as her regular calls home had also stopped. The last time the Lapthorns had spoken to their daughter was a few days prior to her arrival in Dubrovnik when she phoned home to wish her father a happy birthday. They had teased her because the phone call was a day late, but Britt had playfully brushed off their friendly taunts, saying, Mum, I've been travelling. On September 22, Elka Lapthorn wrote a message on her daughter's Facebook page hoping to prompt a reply, typing, Hi Britt, missing your travel log. Meanwhile, the Lapthorns were completely unaware that their daughter had disappeared from a Dubrovnik nightclub days earlier. It wasn't until September 24, when Britt Lapthorn had been unaccounted for for a week, that the local Dubrovnik police were finally willing to formally consider her a missing person and initiate an investigation. They gave the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade permission to inform Brit's family in Australia. Distressed parents Dale and Elka Lapthorn were devastated that they hadn't been informed of their daughter's disappearance sooner. Dale Lapthorn, quote, I'm disappointed that the Australian Embassy knew about this on September 19, and it took them until September 24 for us to be notified. It's horrific. They were also shocked to learn that nothing had been done to find Britt during the first 72 hours of her disappearance, considered the most crucial time frame in solving a missing person case. The odds of finding the person safe and well dramatically decreased thereafter. Dale and Elka feared their daughter had met with foul play. Britt was spontaneous and adventurous, but also clever and self-aware, far from the flaky, naive young traveller Dubrovnik police perceived her to be. With Britt's family now involved, a missing person report was issued by Victoria Police and faxed through to the Australian Federal Police. It featured a picture of Britt Lapthorne, her distinctive blonde bob haircut with a fringe framed her hazel eyes and a trademark beaming smile. The report described her as a white 21-year-old female, 152 centimetres tall, weighing 47 kilograms, with a light olive complexion and a stud nose piercing. Her last known whereabouts were listed as Club Fuego in Dubrovnik, with her attire described as summer clothing with black leggings. The report characterised Brit as well-travelled, worldly, sensible, friendly and talkative. Anyone with information was urged to contact Elka Lapthorne or the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. In the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club hostel, Brit's cherished 21st birthday present, her olive and green black wolf backpack, had been placed on a chair in the lobby alongside a vase of red and white roses left by well-wishers. The only items noted as missing were her wallet containing a small amount of cash and her beloved Canon PowerShot G9 camera, 
items it was believed she took with her to Club Fuego. Her bank accounts, passport, and other travel documents had not been accessed since her disappearance. Tara Reynolds, who had met Brit in Poland, managed a website with over 15,000 members dedicated to tracing the movements of global travellers. Upon learning of Brit's disappearance, Tara created an online group to help find Brit, writing, All we can do is spread awareness in the hope that someone, somewhere, was around on that fateful night and may have seen her. We are just hoping for clues and waiting for now. I miss Brit terribly especially since all my travel photos are constant reminders of such a horrific thing to happen to such a beautiful soul. It isn't me I worry about, it's her family. I pray for her safe return to them. We are posting messages in travel forums, contacting hostels, and doing everything we can on the internet that we can possibly do. The outrage for help in finding Brit Lapthorn spread far beyond the stone walls of Dubrovnik's medieval city. Once the news that an Australian national was missing in a foreign country made its way down under, the Australian media rallied to raise awareness of the mounting search for Brit. Dozens of Australian reporters and journalists arrived to Dubrovnik, eager to cover the story that was a real-life manifestation of fears straight out of popular Hollywood movies like Hostel and Taken. In Taken, the protagonist's daughter is abducted whilst travelling in France for the sole purpose of being sold on to the sex trade, mimicking a very real problem that plagues certain parts of the world. The illegal trafficking of persons for sex remains an ongoing issue in many southeastern European countries, including Croatia. As rumours circled that Brit may have fallen prey to this fate, Dale Lapthorne stated, Quite honestly, That would be a good outcome, because I want my daughter back alive. The overwhelming Australian media presence in the otherwise quiet and sleepy coastal city rattled the local population. Dubrovnik was well regarded for its low crime rate, and serious crimes were considered incredibly rare. Unlike other cities popular with budget backpackers that were often associated with poverty and lawlessness, Dubrovnik was a safe and affluent city, protected and insulated within its defiant stone walls. The Lapthorns believed Dubrovnik's low-risk reputation may have caused Brit to let her guard down and relinquish her usual cautious mindset, while also being to blame for the hesitancy of the local police to take her disappearance seriously. Darren Lapthorn, quote, British street smart and a seasoned traveller, but she came to Dubrovnik really relaxed. She was at the point where she might have been a bit more complacent about meeting people, and I think someone could have seen that weakness. The Dubrovnik police force's week-long delay in launching an investigation was heavily criticised in the Australian media, as was the presumption by local police that Brit was just a foreign party girl who would reappear unharmed at any moment. Brit's friends and family were quick to dispute this interpretation of Brit, claiming she was far from the person police were painting her to be. Those closest to Brit described her as a conservative drinker, and although she enjoyed the occasional night out partying and socialising like most people in their 20s, her main focus was on experiencing all the world had to offer. Her days abroad were not spent in hungover hazes, 
but on energetic adventures as she covered large distances in short time frames and soaked up as many new experiences as she possibly could. Brit's thirst for travel was not fueled by alcohol and a tendency for reckless behaviour. She wanted to learn more about the world, its history, and how people from different cultures lived. To Dale, his daughter's willingness to visit places like Auschwitz was evidence of her strength of character and maturity. Quote, She wanted to understand suffering, to see and really get a feeling for the places she was going. In Bosnia, she said she wanted to understand what happened there. When Brit's older brother Darren learned of his sister's disappearance, he rushed from Germany to Croatia, arriving in Dubrovnik to aid in the search. Upon arrival, he was shocked to discover that local police still weren't taking his sister's case seriously, and overall were uncooperative and reluctant to help. Police told Darren, There has never been crime in Dubrovnik, and there can never be crime in Dubrovnik. When Darren inquired about the scope of their investigation, police said they had only managed to interview one backpacker who had been a guest at the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club at the same time as Brit. The other guests had since moved on to other countries, and Dubrovnik police refused to track them down, telling Darren it was outside of their jurisdiction. Darren asked to view the CCTV footage recorded in the proximity of Club Fuego at the time Brit was present. There were seven security cameras located throughout the two-storey nightclub building, including one in the entry foyer and another directly above the dance floor. Police informed Darren that observing this footage would be impossible as a mysterious electrical fault had occurred on September 18, rendering all the club's interior cameras defective. When Darren pressed the police for proof of this alleged blackout, they changed their story and instead claimed a wiring issue had interfered with the performance of the cameras. According to police, the corrupted footage had been sent to a lab in an attempt to salvage it, but efforts were unsuccessful. The vital images had been lost forever. Nevertheless, the police assured Darren that they had visited Club Fuego and spoken to the club's bartenders and staff about Brit. Darren later visited Club Fuego only to discover that he had been misled, as the nightclub staff revealed they hadn't been spoken to by anyone about his sister's disappearance. Darren questioned the club employees himself, but given the time that had since lapsed, their recollections of the early hours of September 18 were vague. Hindering their efforts was the fact that the club's clientele were mostly young foreigners who didn't stay in Dubrovnik long which made remembering Brit from the hundreds of indistinguishable, ever-changing patrons incredibly difficult. There were faint recollections of Brit being served at the bar, but no worthwhile information was given that hinted at her whereabouts. One thing was certain, if Brit was involved in some kind of altercation or incident, the staff would remember, as such occurrences were unusual at their establishment. Club Fuego management disputed police claims that an electrical fault had rendered their CCTV network ineffective, insisting that all seven of their internal security cameras were functioning during the early hours of September 18. They had previously handed all CCTV equipment to police, 
including a hard drive that stored all recorded footage over the time period Britt Lapthorne was present, and they had no reason to believe the footage was defective. A Club Fuego bouncer recalled seeing someone fitting Britt's description leaving the club in the company of two males and five females. This group had two cars between them and held a lengthy discussion as to who would travel in which vehicle. It was clear to the bouncer that none of the women wanted to get in a car with the men, but he didn't know who ended up travelling with who. If his sister had been within this group, Darren believed she might have wound up in the car with the unknown men and that they may have been involved in her disappearance. A close friend of Britt Lapthorne's told the Australian press, quote, I find it very unconvincing that Britt would have got into a car with somebody she didn't know. If that's the case, there must have been some pressure. Darren contacted his parents in Australia, frustrated and upset by the indifference of Dubrovnik law enforcement in helping find his sister. The Lapthorns felt Dubrovnik police were being dismissive of their concerns and were treating their family with contempt. Sharing his son's disappointment, Dale Lapthorne told the Australian media, Darren was extremely depressed after yesterday, seeing the police doing absolutely nothing, obviously telling lies, 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 and just hoping it would go away. In a Facebook post, Elka Lapthorne pled, The police are doing nothing. We are beyond grief. They have been given so much information and are doing nothing with it. Please, all locals in Dubrovnik, help us. Help us. Help us. The criticism levelled against Dubrovnik authorities by Brit's loved ones was reported throughout the Croatian media. Rather than prompting them to accelerate their investigation, Dubrovnik police became tight-lipped and refused to publicly divulge any more information in relation to the Brit Lapthorne case. This left the Lapthorne family completely in the dark about how the search for their daughter was going or whether the investigation was proceeding at all. Dubrovnik Deputy Police Chief Ivan Kukrika defended the police response to Brit's disappearance, saying... We are only human beings, but we are treating this case like it would be treated anywhere in the world. I understand the worry of the family, and I understand their criticism, and I understand that it will force us to do more quality work, but we really are doing the best job we can right now. I can't tell you everything we have done, but this has not been a slow investigation. Deputy Police Chief Kulkrika indicated he personally believed that Britt was still alive and would be found safe. In 2008, there hadn't been a single murder reported in Dubrovnik or its surrounds, which the deputy attested to the fact that Dubrovnik was, quote, the safest and most secure county in all of Croatia. It wasn't just Croatian authorities who came under fire during the investigation into Britt Lapthorne's disappearance. A visibly emotional Dale Lapthorne told Australian media that he and his wife had been contacted by the Australian Federal Police and asked to be mindful of Australia's relationship with Croatia when speaking publicly about their missing daughter. 
The distressed couple were confounded when the AFP gave them a list of rules and undertakings to follow to ensure they wouldn't create tension between the two countries. Dale Lapthorne, quote, I just got furious. We screamed at them on the phone. We said, you are public servants of Australia. We are Australian citizens and we are not going to allow you to sacrifice my daughter's life for the sake of relations. The outcry prompted a response from Australia's Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd. Prime Minister Rudd empathised with the Lapthorns and other families who have had a loved one go missing overseas. Quote, We take every case seriously because it could be our kids any day. At any one time, there are a million Australians offshore. Our job is to do whatever we can to help families who find themselves in these horrible circumstances. We will leave no stone unturned through the federal police, through our diplomats, through consular officials, through our political contact with the government, to do whatever we can do to assist in this really hard and difficult matter. In Dubrovnik, Darren Lapthorne was still seeking out any clue that might lead him to his sister. He spent his days trawling the city streets, plastering up missing person posters written in both English and Croatian along the way. He logged onto Brit's Facebook account, contacting the friends she had recently added or accepted to see what information they could provide. Desperate for answers, Darren visited a local clairvoyant seeking guidance as to where to focus his search. The clairvoyant revealed their mystic vision that Brit's case would be solved when investigators located two men aged 21 to 31 years old. The disappearance of Brit Lapthorne swept mythical dogma throughout Dubrovnik as the lack of information about her whereabouts led concerned residents to seek answers from higher powers. Superstitious locals spoke darkly of the Croatian belief in the energy carried by Bura winds dry, cool northern gusts that sweep over the Velibet mountain range out to the Adriatic Sea. When Bura comes in, it drives debris further north and clears up the sky, providing uninterrupted panoramic views from the mountains all the way to Italy. Locals believed that when this change in weather finally occurred, the mystery of Brit Lapthorne's disappearance would be solved. Back in Australia, Porch lights in Melbourne's outer suburban streets were kept on as an expression of solidarity for Brit Lapthorne's safe return. From the Lapthorne family home in Eden Park, her parents were doing their best to remain positive. Elka Lapthorne, quote, Every morning I wake up and I feel there is still a glimmer of hope that Brit is still alive, and that's what's keeping us going but the Lapthorne's hope was severely put to the test as time passed and still there were no answers as to what happened to their daughter. They compiled a reward of 100,000 euros and offered to sell their house to boost the sum, hoping it would compel someone to come forward with information that would lead to Brit. Frustrated by the lack of progress in finding his missing daughter, Dale Lapthorne boarded a flight to Croatia to conduct an investigation of his own joined by Brit's boyfriend, Simon. On October 3, the pair arrived to Dubrovnik, with Dale vowing not to leave the city without his daughter, refusing to give up hope that Brit might still be alive. Quote, 
I would like to think she's probably being held against her will. I just couldn't imagine. Other than for Darren and Britt, there's no purpose in living. They're our everything. Upon his arrival to Dubrovnik, Dale was confronted by dramatic scenes as police helicopters flew over the surrounding mountains and officers with tracker dogs trawled outlying rural fields. Police tape was strung up around key areas related to Brit's disappearance, whilst forensic investigators searched the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club hostel. It was far from the idle investigation Darren had anticipated, and his spirits were lifted upon realising police were taking efforts to find his daughter seriously. However, the actions of police were viewed with scepticism, as some found it suspicious that law enforcement had suddenly ramped up their search efforts to coincide with Dale Lapdorn's presence in town. Dubrovnik officials were unwilling to explain why this intensive search hadn't occurred much earlier, with local reporters suggesting police had finally succumbed to the pressure arising from the Australian media and Aussie citizens. Critics believed the grand efforts displayed by Dubrovnik law enforcement were all for show, and they hadn't really escalated the investigation into Brit Lapthorne's disappearance at all. Dubrovnik police vehemently defended what they ensured was now a full-scale investigation into Brit Lapthorne's disappearance, adamant they were doing all they could to aid with the search. Although admitting they had no leads in the case, Dubrovnik Deputy Police Chief Ivan Kukrika stood firm in his belief that Brit would be found alive, certain they were investigating a disappearance, not a murder. He once again justified the slow pace of the investigation, stating, This is not a crime movie where you quickly arrive at an answer. The police are doing everything they can. These sorts of problems cannot be solved in a day or two, as people may expect. But systematically... As their appeal for information cast a wide international net, Dubrovnik police issued a phone number for anyone, anywhere, to come forward with details that could lead to Brit's whereabouts. Relieved Dubrovnik police were finally taking their daughter's disappearance seriously, the Lapthorns still harboured resentment that the effort hadn't been made sooner. Darren Lapthorn, quote, If Brit is still alive, she might be on her last breath so everything possible should be sped up. It was evident that Dubrovnik law enforcement were way out of their depth. Deputy Police Chief Ivan Kulkrika didn't even have a computer in his office and was frustrated to discover that most tip-offs were imparted to the media instead of the authorities. Even the locals didn't seem to be taking the police work seriously, trudging through areas cordoned off by crime scene tape. With no suspects or useful leads, Deputy Police Chief Kukrika narrowed his focus on the group of international backpackers Brit had ventured to Club Fuego with on the night she vanished. He was curious to find out why the group had seemingly left the club without their friend, and also found it suspicious that many of them had departed Dubrovnik within days of Brit's disappearance. The deputy requested help in locating the seven backpackers from global police organisation Interpol, but the failures of Dubrovnik police were highlighted once more when it was revealed that many of the backpackers had already provided their accounts of the night via the press or social media. 
Frustrated by the lack of contact from authorities, the individuals took it upon themselves to publicly share any relevant information they had in the hopes it would lead to Brit. Reports from Brit's fellow clubgoers were hindered by patchy recollections, as many admitted to consuming large amounts of alcohol throughout the night in question. The group spent most of the night scattered separately throughout the venue, bumping into one another every so often, and it was through these interactions that a fairly uniform series of events was collated. The group shared a collective sentiment that Brit Lapthorne was in good spirits during her time at Club Fuego. On the ground floor of the nightclub, British backpacker Gareth Hopkins looked across the room and witnessed Brit Lapthorne chatting happily with a group of people he didn't recognise. Portuguese backpacker Marina Moreira also saw Brit talking to a group of strangers, who she described as mostly tall men. At one point during the night, Marina saw Brit enter what looked like a staff-only door near the club's main bar area, only to re-emerge a few minutes later. Polish-American backpacker Dominik Dabrowiecki, who had accompanied Brit on the journey from Mostar to Dubrovnik, crossed paths with Brit several times throughout the night usually on the dance floor where the two acknowledged each other with a quick hello. Dominic said, I could tell she was drunk, but she looked happy. I did not see her dancing with anyone in particular, and when I saw her talking to people, it was with people from our hostel. At approximately 2am, several witnesses saw Brit drop a glass on the dance floor, causing it to shatter. Club Fuego employees confronted Brit over the breakage and requested that she leave the premises. Brit did leave, but some 10 minutes later she was seen inside the nightclub again, either having been let back or snuck back in. At this point, she ran into Gareth Hopkins and asked him, quote, where are the Croatians? Followed by something else he couldn't hear over the loud music in the club. Gareth wasn't sure who Brit was talking about, but noticed she was slurring her words. The Dubrovnik Backpackers Club crew slowly filtered out of Club Fuego in dribs and drabs and made their way back to the hostel. Some reported asking Brit if she wanted to share a cab, but she wasn't ready to leave yet, so they departed without her. The following morning, the hazy revellers arose with foggy recollections of the night. When the realisation dawned that Brit hadn't returned to the hostel, they quickly pieced together what memories they retained to try and work out where she may have wound up. It was soon determined that the last anyone saw of Brit Lapthorne was in Club Fuego at approximately 3.30am on the morning of Thursday, September 18, 2008, with some reports stating there were three unknown males crowded around her at the time. Although it wasn't immediately noticed during initial searches of Brit Lapthorne's belongings, Brit's mobile phone was later found in her dorm room at the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club, indicating she had left it behind the night she went out. An inspection of her phone records revealed a call had been made at 2.57am on September 18, just half an hour before she was last sighted at Club Fuego. The call was placed to a mobile phone belonging to Ivica Perkovic, the 33-year-old live-in manager of the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club who operated the hostel with his parents. 
This phone call immediately cast suspicions on Ovidza Perkovich, who had left the country in the days after Britt disappeared on what he insisted was a work-related trip. Whilst abroad, Dubrovnik police contacted Perkovich and requested he return to the city so they could speak to him in relation to Britt Lapthorne. Perkovich claimed he barely knew Britt, having only met her briefly in the hostel's recreation room at around 10.30pm on September 17. The two had a brief conversation about Australia, as Perkovich hoped to travel there one day. After this interaction, Perkovich retired to bed and later arose to complain to his mother that the rowdy group of backpackers were making too much noise and keeping him awake. As Perkovich lacked the confidence to confront them, his mother spoke to the guests and asked them to quiet down. This prompted several of the guests, including Britt Lapthorne, to make the trip to Club Fuego. Several hours later, the 2.57am call came through from Britt's mobile phone. Perkovich claimed he was asleep at the time and his mobile phone was on silent, so he was unaware of the call and it went unanswered. Although he could offer no explanation as to why Britt was trying to contact him, he explained that his mobile phone number was used as the main business line for the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club, a number all guests were given upon checking in and told to ring should they need help with bookings, inquiries or emergencies. Adding another layer to the mystery was the lack of explanation as to how exactly Britt's mobile phone wound up at the hostel. The Lapthorns believed with utmost certainty that Britt would not go out without her mobile phone. If she had accidentally left the device at the hostel before she left for Club Fuego, it begged the question as to who made the 2.57am call to Ovidza Perkovich and why. If Britt did have her phone with her at the nightclub, there was no explanation as to why it was used to make a call to Ovidza Perkovich half an hour before she was last seen, nor how the phone ended up back in her dorm. Deputy Police Chief Ivan Kukrika confirmed that the phone call made from Brit's mobile on the evening of her disappearance was of great interest, but insisted the key to the mystery lay with the backpackers she was with at Club Fuego. As such, after 36 hours of questioning, Ivica Perkovich was released from custody, with police officially ruling he was no longer being viewed as a suspect in the case. Upon his release, Ivica Perkovich told a Croatian newspaper that none of the other guests who had attended Club Fuego with Britt Lapthorne were at all worried when she didn't return from the club. Quote, They thought she was that kind of person. He claimed to have spoken to staff at other hostels Brit had stayed in during her travels, and he said they described the 21-year-old as a very kind, polite person, but with a reckless side. Upon learning of Avica's comments, Elka Lapthorne was heartbroken and warned Avica to be careful. Quote, Every mother knows their little girl. I know my little girl, and she's not that kind of girl. I think he's being very clever in trying to put the blame on Brit. Tara Reynolds, who had travelled with Brit in Poland, said, I'm very angry and upset for Perkovich to say such things. In one breath he says he doesn't know her, and in another makes these assumptions about her. It makes me suspicious. Very suspicious. 
Ivica was not the only member of the Perkovich family that exhibited suspicious behaviour during the Brit Lapthorne investigation. As the search for Brit continued, the Lapthorns received an anonymous phone call in their Dubrovnik hotel from a local who claimed to have seen Ivica Perkovich's mother, Milka, at the post office on the day of Brit's disappearance. Milka Perkovich was attempting to mail a passport to Australia, but left after being advised passports could not be sent through the post. The caller alleged the passport belonged to Brit Lapthorne. This information, although seemingly compelling, could not be verified, and the Lapthorns never heard from the caller again. The official investigation conducted by Dubrovnik law enforcement into Brit Lapthorne's disappearance lasted just 10 days and resulted in a brief two-page report detailing their limited findings. One new piece of information came from a Croatian witness who claimed to have seen Brit Lapthorne laughing and dancing with an English-speaking man at Club Fuego throughout the night of her disappearance. It was unclear if this was someone unknown to Brit or one of her companions from the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club hostel. It was the chief of the Dubrovnik police force, Ivan Kresic, who fronted the media at a press conference after the release of the report. Although the report provided no answers as to what could have happened to Brit Lapthorne, Kresic was confident that Dubrovnik police would still locate the young Australian alive. Quote, We are not searching for a body, we are searching for a girl. It is now a matter of time until we find an answer to the mystery, but I am sure that we will answer all the questions as to what happened, and I will do everything as a human being and as a policeman. I still hope she is alive. That is a hope. A real one. Monday, October 6, 2008, marked 72 hours since Dale Lapthorne arrived to the city of Dubrovnik. It had been a hellish 18 days for the father, a physically and emotionally exhausting experience, hindered by deficient police work and complex diplomacy. Despite all the obstacles thrown his way, Dale was fueled by unwavering determination to bring his daughter home. Just a few hundred metres east from the entrance of Club Fuego is Dubrovnik's West Harbour, situated in a spectacular stretch of shoreline known as Bonanovo Bay. The scenic bay is sheltered by a soaring 40-metre cliff face which frames the crystal clear waters of the Adriatic Sea. The beach below is accessible via a steep set of stairs, with metal ladders affixed to concrete platforms that allow swimmers to exit the water after launching off from one of the many dive spots. The area is surrounded by holiday homes and five-star resorts, popular with tourists and locals alike, who gather to sunbathe, play cards, or cook barbecues while admiring the picturesque coastal views. The serene, deep waters of the bay host a variety of marine life, making it an ideal location for boating and fishing. As 11 o'clock approached on the morning of October 6, local fishermen boating off a cove near Bonanovo Bay caught sight of something floating on the surface of the sea. Upon realising what they had come across, they immediately contacted Dubrovnik law enforcement. Water police arrived to the location 
where they found the partial remains of a human body in an advanced state of decomposition. The remains were so severely damaged, authorities were unable to determine whether they were those of a male or a female, making an immediate identification impossible. Dubrovnik police withheld news of the discovery from the public, but it didn't take long for word of the body found near Bonanovo Bay to leak to the press. Dale and Darren Lapthorne were still deep in their search for Brit when the news of the body reached them. They were immediately struck with overwhelming emotion, assuming the body had to be hers. To make the situation even more traumatising for the family, they heard about the grim breakthrough via the media instead of being personally informed by officials. Although the body had yet to be identified, Dale Lapthorne made the difficult call to his wife in Australia, informing her their daughter may have finally been found. Elka Lapthorne, quote, I don't know whether it was relief. I sort of felt a calmness there because I said to Dale and Darren, I'm sure it's Brit. We just have to be prepared for that. However, Dubrovnik police were quick to deny the body was that of the Australian backpacker, as Brit had only been missing for 18 days, and the state of the human remains found on Bonanovo Bay indicated the body had been in the water for months. Deputy Police Chief Ivan Kulkrika held a press conference where he stated, We can almost for sure tell that the body is not Brit's body. He explained the remains were more likely those of an illegal immigrant from Albania or Montenegro who had been dumped or fallen over the side of a boat some time ago. Kukrika's statements reignited hopes Brit Lapthorne could still be found alive. Back home, her mother told the press, Every day it's getting worse and worse, and I wonder what else we are going to hear. Why hasn't Brit been found for heaven's sake? For Dale Lapthorne, the discovery of the body almost brought an end to the painful mystery of what happened to his daughter. Quote, It is just extraordinary. It is your worst nightmare in many ways. With this body, we almost had some closure, you know. Some closure. I can at least say I'm going home with Brit. But now, we are back to square one. As the search for Brit Lapthorne continued, her father wrote a letter to the public titled Please Help Me Find My Brit, which was published by Australian newspaper The Daily Telegraph. In it, Dale wrote, My daughter Brit Lapthorne is missing. There are no highs for our family right now. It's just lows to extreme lows. I feel shattered. I feel exhausted. I feel broken and I wonder if I will be able to go on the next day. In this situation, I just have to keep on driving. Our family have got to do everything we can to find Brit. My son Darren and I ask, how can we go home without her? The answer is, we cannot. We are still discovering, bit by bit, what happened the night she disappeared. There are so many conflicting reports that make it difficult to get a true picture. Yet this case should be so simple. Hostel, nightclub, the distance between, a populated place, lots of traffic. It begs the question, why is this so difficult to solve? 
She hasn't just vanished off the face of the earth. That's just not Brit. She hasn't done a runner. There was no reason to. She loved life. She loved being home. She loved her friends. Brit's story has touched the hearts of many people. Anyone who loves their family can relate to it. They relate to the fear of losing a loved one. A child. I am very thankful for the huge level of public support. I have only one goal, and that's to find my daughter. I will use every tool possible to do that. I will not say I should have, nor will I say I could have. Despite the confidence of Dubrovnik police that the body found floating in the waters near Bonanovo Bay was not Brit Lapthorne, her family provided them with blood tests, dental records and DNA samples in order to rule out the possibility that it could be their daughter. Four days later, an analysis conducted by Croatian forensics determined the Lapthorne's worst fears to be true. It had been 22 days since their daughter mysteriously vanished from Club Fuego in the early hours of September 18. But finally, Britt Lapthorne had been found. After taking time to address his overwhelming grief, Dale Lapthorne fronted the media. Quote, I came to Dubrovnik to bring Brit home. We did not achieve our main objective, which was to bring her home alive, but we have the consolation that we are taking her home. We go home with Brit on her last journey with us. That is better than no closure at all. It's a very shallow closure and one we will never get over, but we have something. We have failed, but we have not totally failed. Forensic experts deemed it lucky that Brit's body had been discovered at all, given there was very little tissue remaining to keep it afloat. Only approximately 40% of Brit's remains were recovered, with several organs and limbs missing, as well as most of her teeth and hair. Deputy Chief of Police Ivan Gulkrika fronted the press, stating, I have to admit that I had, based on the state the body was in, really thought that it was not Brit. This left Croatian authorities to believe the Australian must have been in the water for the duration of her disappearance, an assumption which only raised more perplexing questions for the Lapthorns. Even if Brit had been floating in the water for the whole 18 days she was missing, the timing didn't correspond with the severe extent of decay and destruction sustained to her body. The fact that no one saw Brit's body during that time was even more baffling to her family, given that Bonanovo Bay was a high-traffic area, popular with swimmers and boaters, and overlooked by an observation area visited by hundreds of tourists daily. These considerations further substantiated Dale Lapthorne's suspicions that foul play was involved in Brit's death. Quote, Brit did not jump off a cliff, cut her legs off on the way down, and do something else to decompose herself. As an explanation for the rapid decomposition of Brit's body, Dale developed the theory that Brit may have been killed and dumped at sea, the perpetrators weighing her body down by storing rocks in her clothing. Her remains may have only recently arisen to the surface after the rocks became dislodged. 
Dale's theory wasn't without precedent. An incident three years earlier, in 2005, bore striking similarities to the Britt Lapthorne case, when a badly decomposed body was found floating in the waters of Croatia's Istrian Peninsula. Local police were adamant the body had been in the water for at least eight months, ruling out the possibility it was 30-year-old British tourist Peter Rushton, who had gone missing from a nightclub in the Croatian town of Poric five weeks earlier. However, the remains were later identified to be those of Peter Rushton. Decomposition was accelerated due to the fact his badly beaten body had been put in a sack filled with fishing weights before being thrown overboard. Two Croatian men were later charged with his murder. Upon the discovery of Britt Lapthorne's body, rumours ran rife over the circumstances leading to her death. Some believed Britt had stumbled through the dark towards the West Harbour and accidentally fallen from the coastal cliffs. Others suspected she may have participated in a late-night swim before accidentally drowning in the surf. Others shared the sentiments of the Lapthorne family and were convinced the backpacker had met with foul play. To determine Brit's cause of death, experts aimed to clarify key factors, including the location where she had entered the sea. But this was soon deemed impossible, as the area of water where Brit's body was found was characterised by strong winds and powerful currents, meaning the exact entry point could not be identified. To establish whether Brit fell from a height or entered the water at sea level, experts studied her skeletal remains. However, as the coastline framing Bonanovo Bay featured steep jagged cliffs, deep seashells and rocky outcroppings, the cause of bone fractures could be from a multitude of possible sources. Breakages would appear the same regardless of whether Brit fell from a cliff, was thrown in, or the current dragged her body into the cliff face. The rapid decomposition of Brit's remains only added more complexities to the yet-to-be-determined cause of death. Dubrovnik police told Dale Lapthorne the reason his daughter's body was so badly decomposed was because, quote, the water was warm. But the temperature of Bonanovo Bay's water in late September and early October could vary anywhere between 16 and 22 degrees Celsius significantly colder than the ocean's mid-year temperatures, which peaked at 28 degrees. Prolonged water-based decomposition can cause hair and skin to come away from the body, but experts were at a loss to explain how most of Brit's teeth were missing, including the more resilient molars. Although not an impossible result of decomposition, the loss of her molar teeth was highly unusual. The possibility that marine life played a part also seemed unlikely. Croatian waters are home to a variety of marine life, but very few would be capable of removing human limbs. Sharks had been known to swim through the Adriatic Sea, but their presence was extremely rare. A cursory search of the Bonanovo Bay area only uncovered one of Brit's personal belongings the shirt she had been wearing on the night of her disappearance, which was found floating in the sea a short distance away from her body. The other items Brit had on her, including her wallet, Canon PowerShot G9 camera, and the remainder of her clothing, including her leggings and shoes, were not found. 
The possibility that Britt drowned couldn't be ruled out, but it couldn't be confirmed either, as her lungs were never recovered. It was a topic of debate, as Britt's body was found unclothed, which is unusual for drowning victims. Rumours she could have gone skinny-dipping were refuted by those closest to Britt, who described her as conservative, and given the remainder of her clothing was not located at the water's edge, it seemed unlikely. Yet, some suggested her clothing may have been blown away by the strong Bura winds. The cliffs above Bonanovo Bay were a local suicide spot, but Britt had no history of suicidal thoughts or self-harming tendencies. On the contrary, she was consistently described as happy and secure, with many positive elements in her life, including her travels, studies, friends, family, and a boyfriend. One of the last postcards Brit sent to her parents in Australia noted she wasn't ready to go home yet, as she was having so much fun. Longing for answers, the Lapthorne family anxiously awaited the results of an autopsy, certain it would put an end to the speculation and reveal the indisputable truth of what happened to Britt. It took a week for Dubrovnik forensic officials to complete the post-mortem examination of Britt Lapthorne's body. The accompanying report immediately drew outrage from the Lapthorne family, the Australian media, and members of the public. At just two pages long, The autopsy report was noticeably underwritten and contained an obvious lack of insight. It described the damage sustained to Britt's body, but made no attempt to explain how such damage had occurred. The report blamed the lack of detailed information on the poor state the body was in, but provided no explanation as to why the remains had deteriorated so rapidly. In one final blow, The report indicated that no further comprehensive scientific testing had been undertaken and simply ruled Britt Lapthorne's cause of death as unknown. A disappointed Dale Lapthorne slammed the autopsy report as childish, stating, quote, a grade 12 student could do a better job than this. Up until this point, Dubrovnik law enforcement's perceived incompetence had been attributed to their lack of experience in dealing with a case of this nature. But now, their indifference in determining what happened to Britt Lapthorne was being viewed as intentional. Australians believed that Dubrovnik police were going to great lengths to sweep the case under the rug to ensure their city's positive reputation would not be damaged by word of a foreign tourist being murdered on their streets. After the release of the Croatian autopsy report, it was announced that Britt Lapdorn's body would be re-examined in Australia by a Victorian coroner. The Lapdorns found solace in this decision, with Dale telling the media, quote, If it concurs with what has been investigated in Croatia, fine and good. I accept that. I ask the Croatian people not to see this as an insult or anything. It's just a family right to be able to have a second opinion and for us to rest peacefully in that the correct assessment was done. Before returning to Australia, Dale and Darren Lapthorne boated in Bonanovo Bay, scouring the rocky bays and inlets near the location Britt's body was found. When asked what they were looking for, Dale said he didn't want to sound gruesome 
but they were worried something had been missed, like a leg or an arm. Despite their efforts, no further remains were recovered. At dawn on October 17, Dale and Darren Lapthorne, together with Britt's boyfriend Simon, sailed out into the cool morning mist of Bonanovo Bay, where they laid a wreath and scattered white rose petals upon the water where Britt's body was found. Mansard Roof, a song by indie rock band Vampire Weekend, was played from Britt's iPod, the upbeat song bringing the essence of her vibrant spirit to the sombre occasion. Promising to remember Brid as the vivacious young woman she was, Dale Lapthorne stated, The pain we cannot bear is all those things that she wanted to do, and will never get the chance. The following day, October 18, marked a month to the day since Brit Lapthorne went missing. That night, more than 1,000 people gathered at Flagstaff Gardens in Brit's home city of Melbourne, Australia to hold a candlelight vigil in her honour and pay their respects to her family. Brit's friends, relatives, classmates and strangers sat on picnic blankets watching in silence as the sun set in the springtime sky. As night fell, the parklands were illuminated by hundreds of flickering candles. Elka Lapthorne told the crowd of mourners, quote, I think people, especially backpackers, should get on with their adventures and experiences, but just look after each other a bit more. I think Brit possibly was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person, and it just should not have happened. Not to Brit, not to anyone else. The next day, the entire Lapthorne family were reunited after a challenging and painful period apart. A formal memorial service titled A Ceremony of Love for Brit was held in South Moraine, with over 600 mourners in attendance wearing ribbons of Brit's favourite colour, purple. The programs were covered with purple stars and featured a picture of Brit, her contagious smile and enthusiastic thumbs up, perfectly encapsulating her lively personality. Stories of Brit's idyllic childhood and adolescence were retold by loved ones, including the time at age five she attempted to leave home, but only made it as far as halfway down her driveway. Another story revealed that Brit's first ever mobile phone bill totaled more than $1,200, much to the horror of her father. At age 15, the industrious Brit sought out her first job in a local charcoal chicken takeaway food shop. Each tale was told with humour and warmth and accompanied by a photo montage reflecting the full and adventurous life Brit created for herself. After the ceremony, 21 purple balloons were released, each one symbolising a year of Brit's life. Dale Lapthorne thanked the crowd for their ongoing support during this unspeakable tragedy and implored everyone to appreciate the preciousness of life and value their family. A private burial was postponed as Brit's family awaited the results of a second autopsy. The second post-mortem of Brit Lapthorne's body was conducted by David Ranson, an associate professor from the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine. This examination incorporated a series of tests that the initial autopsy had failed to conduct, 
including a toxicological analysis that revealed no alcohol or any other common drugs or poisons were present in Britt's system. The small amount of body tissue that remained was thoroughly examined, and no bruises, abrasions, lacerations or incisions were identified. Based on the damage to her skeletal remains, it was determined that the trauma sustained to Brit's long bones was consistent with wave and tidal action against rocky surfaces. Rib fractures were also present, although it couldn't be determined whether these occurred whilst Brit was alive or post-mortem. Damage to other parts of the skeletal structure was attributed to scavenging marine life. According to Professor Ranson, the absence of trauma to Brit's skull and upper limbs suggested that she might have entered the water at sea level. The significant decomposition of Brit's body, coupled with the absence of crucial remains, led to Professor Ranson concluding that neither a time of death or a cause of death could be unequivocally ascertained. Although his post-mortem report was significantly more thorough than the first, Ranson ultimately agreed with the results of the Croatian autopsy and ruled the cause of Brit Lapthorne's death as unknown. On October 29, 2008, the police chief in charge of the Brit Lapthorne investigation, Ivan Krasik, was fired. According to a police spokesperson, Krasik's termination was part of a new direction for the county's police, designed to curb police inaction. The prolonged failings of the Dubrovnik police had been highlighted since the heavily publicised Brit Lapthorne investigation, with the police spokesperson telling the media, quote, We weren't satisfied with the speed of police reaction in the case of Brit Lapthorne. Although the fact remains that she would not have been saved with a faster police reaction, somebody has to take responsibility for the fact that there was a five to six day delay before a serious investigation and quality action was undertaken by leading police. These internal changes led to a total turnaround in the Dubrovnik Police Force's conduct regarding the Brit Lapthorne investigation. By November 2008, Dale Lapthorne told the press he felt the languishing investigation was now being fast-tracked and believed police efforts had improved outstandingly. Key witnesses and the group of backpackers who had been at Club Fuego with Brit on the night of her disappearance had been tracked down and questioned at length. Concise, credible reports were distributed to the Lapthorns on a weekly basis, keeping the family in the loop of any new developments. In a much-anticipated move, Dubrovnik police divers finally entered the waters of Bonanovo Bay to conduct an extensive underwater search for Brit's missing belongings, including her wallet, camera, and clothing. A police spokesperson claimed the dive mission had been planned long ago, but blamed the delay on unfavourable weather conditions. Nevertheless, the dive was long overdue for the Lapthorne family, who hoped above all else that Brit's camera would be found, believing it held vital clues as to what happened to her the night she went missing. However, the divers emerged from the waters of Bonanovo Bay empty-handed. In late December 2008, Dubrovnik police granted the Lapthorns full access to CCTV footage captured in the vicinity of Club Fuego over the night Brit had attended. 
Although the footage from the club's seven internal security cameras had allegedly been lost due to an electrical fault, an adjacent war memorial was overseen by four high-tech cameras, one of which faced Club Fuego's entrance. This camera should have provided clear footage of all persons entering and exiting the venue, but upon being retrieved from the council, it was discovered that this key camera was also dysfunctional between the critical dates of September 17 and 18. The only viable existing footage of Club Fuego was obtained from a council-owned street camera located 50 metres down the road. It didn't provide a direct view of the club's entrance, but did pick up the darkened silhouettes of the few people moving about in the area. The grainy footage showed a one-way palm-lined road, with Club Fuego on the left and a large block of apartments on the opposite side. Dubrovnik police determined that the footage captured nothing of importance. Whilst tirelessly reviewing this footage, the Lapthorns noted an occurrence at 4.46am on September 18, when a dark blue van emerged from a side street and came to a stop at the front entrance of Club Fuego. A person exited the club and quickly climbed into the van before it sped off out of shot. Due to the low quality of the dark footage, it was impossible to make out the finer details of the vehicle or identify those inside. But given that Brit was last sighted in the club approximately an hour before the van arrived, the Lapthorns considered the unnerving possibility that the figure getting into the vehicle could have been their daughter. Their theory was substantiated by a post on an internet forum that had appeared in September, just days after Brit went missing, warning Club Fuego patrons to be on high alert as two unknown men had been acting menacingly and preying on partygoers in the area. In a bid to lure young foreign women into their vehicle, the suspicious men claimed to be police officers. The forum post read, quote, a blue van stops. Two special police get out. They show their ID and then try and put you in the van. On behalf of Australia's Channel 7 current affairs program Sunday night, veteran investigative reporter Ross Coulthard began independent investigations into the Brit Lapthorn case. Coulthard's inquiries led him to Dubrovnik where he uncovered an ominous pattern of ingrained criminal activity hidden deep behind the esteemed city's walls. In 2007, an Australian tourist was enjoying a night out at Club Fuego when she accepted a ride from two local men driving a dark blue van. When the woman realised she was being driven out of the city and away from her destination, she questioned where they were going, but the men remained silent. Sensing she was in danger, the woman leapt from the moving vehicle and ran down the hillside, with the men chasing close behind. Upon reaching a main road, she was rescued by a security guard and taken to hospital, where her ordeal was formally reported to Dubrovnik authorities. In September 2008, an Australian tourist left Club Fuego at around 2am and began the short walk to the harbour where her cruise ship was docked for the night. Suddenly, a dark blue van carrying several men accelerated towards her. A passenger hanging out the open side door attempted to pull the woman into the vehicle, but she escaped, taking refuge in an isolated area away from the road. 
Seemingly out of nowhere, a group of five to seven armed men emerged and crowded around her, chanting, Police! Police! She immediately recognised one of the men as the passenger in the blue van who had tried to snatch her moments earlier. The woman's friends rushed to help, causing the group of men to scatter. This incident occurred just five days before Britt Lapthorne vanished, and it was reported to both the Australian Federal Police and Dubrovnik officials. In the following month of October 2008, an American tourist was approached by two local men inside Club Fuego who flashed what appeared to be a police badge. They told the woman she was under arrest and demanded she leave with them immediately. When she refused, the pair proceeded to beat up her male companion. Other nightclub patrons intervened and the attackers fled the club in the company of several other men. This occurred just 10 days after Britt Lapthorne's disappearance. In another incident, a solo female tourist disembarked a bus at 3am in Dubrovnik's western port area, a short walk from Club Fuego. She was talking on her mobile phone when a group of men circled her, flashing a badge and claiming to be police officers. The group of men fled when a local stepped in to assist the woman. The women targeted shared similar characteristics. They were all female, young, blonde, slim and foreign, all features matching those of Brit Lapthorne. Although minor details of their ordeals varied, they were all confronted in or near Club Fuego by at least two local men claiming to be police officers. The perpetrators used a distinctive dark blue van, the same type of vehicle caught on CCTV footage pulling up to Club Fuego around the time Brit Lapthorne vanished. Dubrovnik law enforcement initially denied knowledge of these alleged abductions, but were forced to backtrack and accept awareness when Ross Coulthard presented them with official reports compiled after two of the incidents. One was a report sent to Dubrovnik law enforcement by the Australian Federal Police after they were contacted by a survivor. The other was a medical report collected from the hospital one of the other survivors attended after her ordeal, detailing the circumstances of her visit. Despite these reports indicating the perpetrators were masquerading as police officers, no action had been taken to identify or apprehend the suspects. In early February 2009, Ross Coulthard's incriminating findings into the Brit Lapthorne case were broadcasted on Channel 7's Sunday night program. Identikit images of the two main perpetrators were created based on descriptions provided by survivors. One was tall, with short dusty blonde hair, a pale complexion, small face, narrow nose, and large ears. The second was shorter and had a square-shaped face with cropped dark hair, heavy eyebrows, dark eyes, and a tanned complexion. Sunday night's damning expose quickly garnered the curiosity of the Australian media and public, open to the possibility Britt Lapthorne had been a victim of a well-established criminal gang posing as Dubrovnik police. The identikits of the two alleged ringleaders were widely circulated, and in a confounding revelation, it was quickly discovered that the suspect's sketches closely resembled two active Dubrovnik police officers. 
Croatian authorities were quick to hold a press conference addressing the accusations. But instead of their usual hard-lined denial approach, they accepted the identikits matched the appearance of two members of Dubrovnik's local police. This revelation opened many questions, but the spokesperson didn't dwell on the validity of the claims, instead assuring reporters that the unnamed officers in question were exemplary members of law enforcement. Croatian publication National revealed the identities of the two police officers at the centre of the allegations, with other news sources quickly following suit. Ivica Rudinovic and Dragan Palameda were both married fathers who worked alongside one another in Dubrovnik's narcotic squad, harbouring varying reputations within the force. Whilst Dragan Palameda was a long-serving officer with a clean record, Ivica Rudinovic's reputation was marred by an undisclosed disciplinary procedure that resulted in a severe demotion from the coveted special police force to beat cop. The integrity of Rudinovic was considered dubious, as it was rumoured the officer had intentionally lied during an investigation in order to clear colleagues of assault charges made against them. During each of the alleged abduction attempts, Evica Rudinovic and Dragon Palameda were rostered on patrol duty together. Dressed in plain clothes, the pair surveyed Dubrovnik's night spots as part of narcotic reduction efforts. They didn't deny confronting foreign women in and around Club Fuego whilst on duty, but maintained any interactions were purely part of their undercover drug operations. Meanwhile, a search to locate the crucial dark blue van revealed there was one vehicle registered in Dubrovnik that fit the description. A Volkswagen Charan multi-purpose vehicle used by the Dubrovnik police force. Zlatko Sokola had recently replaced Ivan Krezik as Dubrovnik's police chief and was working tirelessly to make positive progress on the mishandled Brit Lapthorne investigation. If there was any truth to the allegations that fellow police officers were involved in the abduction and assault of foreign women, Sokola knew he'd struggled to get to the bottom of the matter. The reputation of the Dubrovnik police force was tainted by lingering rumours of corruption and cover-ups with residents perceiving their city as a place where organised crime thrived. Accusations that terminated police chief Ivan Krezik had either underestimated, ignored, or tacitly tolerated. Dedicated to restoring the reputation of the Dubrovnik police force and eradicating any disgraced officers, police chief Sokola made a brash and shocking move, relieving 70% of command personnel from duty. Despite the tenacious efforts employed by Police Chief Sokola to clear Dubrovnik's tarnished police force and renew the investigation into Brit Lapdorn's unresolved death, years passed with virtually no fresh information coming to light. Seven years after Brit Lapdorn's body was found in Bonanovo Bay, hopes of finding a resolution to the mystery were renewed when Victorian State Coroner Ian Gray was tasked with holding a coronial inquest into the 21-year-old's death. All available evidence, leads, reports and witness statements relating to the Brit Lapdorn investigation were compiled and scrutinised during the inquest, and in April 2015, 
Ian Gray presented his findings in the Victorian Coroner's Court. Coroner Gray concluded the following facts. Between midnight and 12.30am on September 18, 2008, Britt Lapthorne arrived by bus to Club Fuego with a group of backpackers after consuming an unverified quantity of alcohol. There, Britt continued to consume alcohol and became heavily intoxicated. She was last seen in the club between 3 and 3.30am. Her remains were located 18 days later in Bonanovo Bay on October 6, 2008. No further facts could be unequivocally ascertained. Dubrovnik police claimed their investigations into the young Australian's death involved over 500 interviews with potential witnesses, polygraph examinations, execution of multiple search warrants, and retrieval of data from mobile phone towers during the critical time period between September 17 and 18, 2008. The Australian Federal Police had since conducted an inquiry into Dubrovnik law enforcement's handling of the case and found police were quote, professional and determined in their efforts. The coroner acknowledged that while there were several deficiencies in the initial treatment of Brit's disappearance, Dubrovnik police had since exhausted all available avenues during their ongoing investigations. The possibility that Brit had fallen victim to the same gang of local men who had attempted to abduct several other young female travellers during their time in Dubrovnik was disputed by Coroner Gray who determined, quote, There was no evidence or information found indicating the attacks on the women were linked to each other or to Brit's death. However, the coroner was able to resolve one lingering theory. Quote, Based on evidence, there is no reason or basis to conclude that Brit at any time acted with the intention of ending her own life. I therefore conclude that her death was due to either accident or foul play. When it came to the exact cause of Brit's death, Coroner Gray officially ruled. The evidence does not support a finding as to when or how Brit's death occurred. I therefore formally find that the cause or causes of Brit Lapthorne's death remain unascertained. Dale Lapthorne addressed the court on behalf of his family thanking them for their efforts in attempting to establish the truth about what happened to his daughter. Although the Lapthorne family would continue to seek answers, Dale admitted they had come to terms with the fact they may never know for sure how Britt lost her life. One positive Dale took from the overwhelming tragedy was that Britt's death had created a legacy that compelled other young backpackers to be more cautious when travelling overseas. The realisation that his daughter's case prompted dramatic changes in the leadership and practices of Dubrovnik's problematic law enforcement was also a source of comfort for Dale. Quote, I don't like saying this, but maybe she didn't die in vain. Outside court, Britt's older brother Darren told the media it had been a tough seven years and stated, Although we may never really find out what happened to Britt, I know I still live in the hope that one day, as long as I live, I'll find out an answer. One day, someone will need to clear their conscience. It was a sentiment shared by his mother, Elka. Quote, Whoever did this to our daughter, they have to live with their guilt. 
I hope it tortures them like we're tortured every day. But in the end, nothing we do will bring our daughter back to us. Our feeling is, we've just had to learn to live with it. Upon the conclusion of the coroner's inquest, Dubrovnik law enforcement have since conceded it was highly unlikely that Britt Lapthorne took her own life or voluntarily entered the waters of Bonanovo Bay prior to her death. Although the case is still considered an ongoing criminal investigation, Croatian authorities surmise Britt's death was the result of misadventure. It's a conclusion the Lapthorns have always disagreed with, certain Britt was murdered. Many aspects of the case remain unexplained or unresolved, including the identity of the person seen on CCTV footage getting into the blue van outside Club Fuego, the purpose of the 2.57am call made from Brit's mobile phone the morning of her disappearance, the whereabouts of her wallet and Canon PowerShot G9 camera, and what caused the considerable damage sustained to Brit's recovered remains. Although suspicion has been cast on a range of people over the years, including the backpackers who attended Club Fuego with Brit, the manager of the Dubrovnik Backpackers Club Hostel, Avica Perkovic, and the Dubrovnik police officers accused of attempting to abduct female tourists, there are no formal suspects in the case. Media coverage of the case has since waned, but the general consensus from the Australian press and public supports the theory that Brit was abducted and killed. Dale Lapthorne, quote, As to whether we will ever find out what happened to Brit, I'm not sure. But we gave it everything. What we did is, we gave it our best shot. She was our daughter. We loved her. We still do. What more can I say? We tried. To cope with the pain of their daughter's unresolved death, Dale and Elka Lapthorne focus on the many happy memories they have of Brit. For a long time afterwards, her bedroom was kept just as it was when she departed for her big solo European adventure, and sometimes Dale would sit in Brit's old Saab car, listening to her favourite CDs. He holds on to the small reminders he has of his daughter, including the final text message she sent to him just days before her disappearance, which simply read, Happy birthday, Dad. Thousands of photographs chronicling Brit's travels across the world are safely stored on a hard drive, which her family look at often, grateful there are so many. The photo Dale holds most dear is the last image he took of his daughter in Paris on her 21st birthday, a memory he will always remember with overwhelming fondness. Years after Brit's death, Dale retraced his daughter's final journey by embarking on his own solo backpacking trip through Europe. For the grieving father, the profound experience delivered a sense of comfort, as though Brit was alongside him every step of the way. He boarded the same trains, visited the same landmarks, and ate at the same restaurants Brit had, relishing the landscapes she had once described as the best places she had ever seen. Elka Lapthorne has not bid her daughter goodbye, but instead, Auf Wiedersehen, a German expression meaning, until we see each other again. 
Despite the high-profile nature of the Brit Lapthorne case, Dubrovnik has successfully maintained its reputation as a safe travel destination. An endless flow of tourists continue to visit the medieval city each year, further popularised for being one of the main filming locations for the fictional city of King's Landing in the HBO television series Game of Thrones. Club Fuego's reputation was irreparably tarnished following accusations the thriving night spot was a hotbed for sleazy criminal activity. Eventually, the nightclub underwent a complete rebranding and successfully re-established itself as a popular tourist hangout, which remains in operation today. Back in late September 2008, the owner of Club Fuego, Vinko Cosmai, observed the Australian media swarming outside his premises their intimidating presence deterring the club's usual revellers and leaving it uncharacteristically empty. Cosmai lifted himself off his bar stool and invited the reporters into his establishment, telling them, You from Australia have taught us a good lesson. You lose one Australian and you care. You send people to find her. You press the police to really do something. It is a good example for us. Australians caring. When we suffered the war, nobody tried to see what happened, to look for people. We could learn 